Hi, this is Lisa, and you are listening to I Love That Movie. This podcast is for movie lovers. It's not an unbiased opinion. It's not a straightforward review. It's just a couple people talking about a movie that they love. The format is each week I have a guest, and that guest and I discuss a movie that they love, something they're obsessed with, something they connect with. We'll talk about the plot, the director, and the actors, but we'll also talk about the personal connection my guest has with that movie. So if that sounds like something you want to listen to, keep listening. Hi, this is Lisa, and I have a new guest with me here today. Uh, meet Jeff. Say hi, Jeff. Hi. <laughs> hi, Jeff. Well, uh, wanted to give you the opportunity to just kind of uh, introduce yourself a little bit. Oh, yeah. Thanks. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I've just been listening to this show ever since I think you had my friend Charles, uh, Charles Pointer, our mutual friend yes, on the show. Yes, yes, yes. talk about Fight Club, and uh, it's just a really good podcast, and you kind of put the – you kind of – put the feeler out there of hey you know who wants to guest on it and i was like immediately uh yeah yeah i want to do that <laughs> i just want to talk about a movie i love instead of having to, i always have to criticize things um it's just people expect <laughs> it from me people just expect, i just want to love a movie you know uh, well that's awesome yeah i you know um i saw you guys kind of chatting back and forth and then right. uh you joined our, our group and and yeah I'm, I'm always looking for guests as i always mentioned on the show and i was really excited especially from kind of chatting back and forth with you mm-hmm. uh we didn't always agree on the same movies but that's no. okay yeah that's and okay. i don't i don't make that known <laughs> in the group the group is meant for loving movies and i'm not going to be i'm not going to be like oh excuse me and actually that movie's not very good or whatever you know so that's a place for positivity movie positivity um, well, I'm, I'm like, as I said, I'm really excited uh, that you wanted to come on here. I will say really quick before we get started, I kind of want to start putting this at the beginning of my podcast, but I'm just throwing this out there, guys. Uh, we have a contest right now. Um, if you leave a positive review on iTunes for this podcast, you are automatically entered to win a $20 gift card to a movie theater chain of your choice. Uh, we've already had one winner at 15 reviews. Right now we're at 21 reviews. So once we hit 30, I'm going to draw another name. So it's free money comes directly out of my pocket. So if you like free money, leave a review. That's it. (laughs) I'm realizing I'm way too unprofessional to be on this podcast. You have 30, almost uh, 20, well, yeah, 21 reviews. (laughs) Well, I have a very supportive (laughs) team of family and friends. Uh, I do want to be upfront with saying that. And, you know, the incentive (laughs) of free money helps. Our last uh, winner was uh, Sam. And, uh, you know, he's, he was on our uh, Big Lebowski episode, actually. So even if you're a guest, you can obviously leave a review. He left one before he was a guest. And, um, and yeah, so, so yeah, free money. I'll re- I'll remove his star. I'll keep it. I'll keep it honest. I'll remove his star for me being on it. <laughs> that episode with Jeff on it was bad. Somebody left a review and said, <laughs> oh, "I'm just being honest. I-, I was on it, and it's like it's it's fine. It's fine. It's There's fine. no review police. <laughs> no, There's no QA process. Yeah. <laughs> so no, it's just funny. But yeah, just wanted to mention that up front because you know I understand if they don't make it all That's the cool. way to my rambling at the very end of an episode. Um. So yeah up there at the top but uh let's go ahead and get started and kind of dump dive into this uh jeff what movie are we talking about today 
Uh, the Shimshaw Reduction. Uh, <laughs> the Shawshank Redemption, which I was honestly surprised. I was telling you off mic that I was very surprised that we didn't have mm-hmm. uh, somebody pick this before. I am too. I, uh, I almost it's... didn't believe you. I, I, I was like, somebody's spoken for that <laughs> at least. I try to let people, right. like if they really passionately argue for a movie, you know, I try to give it to them. But then there's movies, frankly, like this one where, you know, I, I assumed I would have like five requests for. So, so yeah, right. yeah. Um, was really surprised it hadn't been spoken for yet. And I went ahead and gave it to you. Although I, truthfully, I probably would have anyway, because um, if it's somebody that has gotten quite a few of their favorites already, I might mm-hmm. pass it on to someone new. So I'm ex- I'm excited to talk about this for sure. Uh, this is a movie I've seen Ooh. many times. I'm sure you have too. Same. So uh, on that note, uh, when did you first see this movie? I uh, I must have been an age where I can't remember the first time I saw it. It's just something that's always been in my life. It, I was I was eight when this movie came mm-hmm. out, or turning eight or something, because uh, it came out in '94. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's right. Making sure I'm not bad at math. I, but, I worry about that every yeah, time. I, I'm like, I can't think I was. I would have been 11. Yeah, it's like you can't right. remember how old you are. Nope, I can't. <laughs> no, no, I can't. Math? Are you crazy? No. Uh, I remember my sister having a pretty large, pretty substantial movie collection, and I know this one was in there. And I'd walk in her room to see, like, to catch her watching this movie on repeat. It seemed, and uh, if if it wasn't that, then it was airing on TNT on repeat anyway yes. so i think one of the first times i saw it had to have been one of those times where i was i was like homesick from school or just stumbled upon it on tnt and i just finished it and then i was like okay i gotta start i i don't remember ever seeing it beginning to end until my adult years because i was always in the middle of it on tnt or starting it at tnt you couldn't finish it yeah um that makes yeah. total sense it, it, it was on repeat on tv i feel like it still is probably on some channel <laughs> oh, yeah um, uh, they acquired uh, Castle Rock Entertainment, TNT or Turner, whatever, uh-huh. Ted Turner's broadcasting networks, uh, acquired Castle Rock Entertainment, which did this movie and they've done a whole bunch of other movies. But this is like their crown jewel to them. Sure, like, sure. Just air this again, you know, everybody's <laughs> going to watch it. Yeah, well... Um, when I was thinking about this movie, I think I have the same answer you do in that I don't really remember exactly when I saw it, but I want to say I was a teenager. I think I was 16 or 17 when I saw it, which is when I started to see a lot of movies um, that were kind of like this and, and like, probably a lot like you. I think I saw, I would catch like in the middle of it. I think I saw it all the way through once for the first time. But then of course, like when it would be on TV, I would just kind of tune back into it and rewatch. So I've seen it quite a few right. times. I still rewatched it um, before we did this podcast, but I feel oh, like, here. you know, I would have been pretty, pretty good at like going through this chronologically, yeah. unlike most movies, just because I've seen it so many times. Yeah, yeah, me too. I I would absolutely have been okay with not. I mean, I just watched it like two months ago again, so <laughs> it's it just another excuse to watch it again. Honestly, because I love being up in the, experiencing this movie. Basically, yeah, it's just even though there's a lot of heartache and heartbreaking moments in this movie, it's it's still there's something about it. Mm-hmm. I just love being a part of that time, and and since I've been to that prison, I'm kind of watching it through a new lens. That's awesome. Uh, which is awesome. Yeah, that is really cool. Well. I do want to kind of go through the synopsis really quick. Uh, we'll just read sure. a quick summary and then we will kind of dive in. Um, okay, here we go. Uh, Shawshank Redemption. Uh, Andy Dufresne is sentenced to two consecutive life terms in prison for the murders of his wife and her lover and is sentenced to a 
tough prison. However, only Andy knows he didn't commit the crimes. While there, he forms a friendship with Red and experiences the brutality of prison life, adapts, helps the Warren, etc., all in 19 years. Yeah, I always forget that there's, I mean, they do it in a clever way. There's time jumps in this movie, which they illustrate through narration, kind of like Goodfellas. Uh, I think I think even Darabont, Frank Darabont, the director, said that he was inspired by the way Goodfellas moves through time. Oh. That's that's a good point. Over. I hadn't thought of that, but you're right. It's it's kind of seamless. Like a lot of time mm-hmm. passes, but you're not really. I mean, you notice it, but it doesn't feel like you know. There's yeah. no title screen that's like five years later, ten years later. You know, so yeah, they're not spoon feeding exactly. It to you, you know? Yeah, it's pretty brilliant that way. No, yeah. I totally agree. Um, I had a couple quick facts I wanted to dive into. And then um, feel free to chime in. And then also, if you have a few, go for it. Uh, The first one that I have uh, is that it was nominated for seven Oscars. I did not know that. Oh, yeah, it was. And those were Best Picture, Best Actor Mm -hmm. in a Leading Role, Best Writing, uh, Best Screenplay Based on Material Previously Produced or Published, Best Cinematography, Best Sound, Best Film Editing, and Best Music Original Score. Yeah, they all yeah, they all deserve that. I'm surprised Best Director wasn't in there. Yeah, but, it's true. Uh, did any of them uh, win? Freeman I don't think any, did. No, 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 won, right? no yeah. it won zero Oscars. It, it was the year of Forrest Gump oh. and also Pulp Fiction and also Quiz Show. There were so many great movies that mm, year. It happens. Um, like monumental movies, but like yeah, uh, for those that like might be like who who won who got nominated for Best Actor? That was the Freeman got That's nominated. Right. Like because Tim Robbins. Yeah, I, I, I guess they have to pick one. I don't know if they feel obligated to only pick one from one movie, but. <laughs> I guess they went with Freeman. I don't disagree with that, but Robbins, Tim Robbins is definitely underrated in this movie, in my opinion, even though it's regarded as like one of the best movies ever. <laughs> right. I, I mean, I feel like it is about him, but there is mm-hmm. something about Martin Freeman's performance. I yeah. I don't know. It's just like, because he's narrating it and he's re, he's so reactive uh, or reactionary, I guess, yeah. like he, all the emotion is like in his face and a lot of the beats of the movie. And like, that's, the way that he's playing it. And then conversely, Tim Robbins is sort of playing it as like a little bit more straight and serious because the characters like that. Right. And I guess the bad part is then he ends up not getting nominated. Maybe. I don't know. Unfortunately. Yeah. 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 I think Robbins is just a, his character, Andy specifically is a harder read. Definitely. Yeah. Like, I, I have a hard time assessing what he's actually thinking, even when he's doing those crazy things, like playing the music and uh, uh, trying to make a deal with that guard. Uh, you know, like, like, what is this dude thinking? Like, it's just a harder read. Uh, it feels like maybe he planned all this. I, there's a whole layer to that we'll get to. Awesome. One of the other facts I had was that Clint Eastwood, Harrison Ford, Paul Newman, and Robert Redford were all considered for the part of Red. Because in the original mm-hmm. novel, as I'm sure you know, Red is a middle-aged Irishman with graying hair. However, uh, yeah. Frank Darabont, is that, am I saying that right? always had Morgan Freeman in mind for the role because of his authoritative presence, demeanor, and deep voice. Uh, Darabont alluded to the casting choice by having read jokingly reply to Andy's inquiry about his nickname with the line, maybe it's because I'm Irish. Yeah. And they just never touch on it again. It's so great. It's so awesome. It's funny. It's like, I, well, kind of like you, I, this movie is so like ingrained in my psyche, I guess at this point that I never even thought about his name being read not really making a lot of sense <laughs> like yeah, at all you just you see Morgan <laughs> freeman and 
you just your brain just goes red. That's red right, right. there. You know, right. uh, regardless of what movie he's in, you're just like red. It makes sense. Morgan Freeman, red, just makes sense. You never really made like looked it up. I mean, yeah, obviously in my adult years, I looked up a lot of stuff about this movie. I started investing more into it, uh, which is an interesting ride. Interesting ride with this it movie. It is, for sure. You know, uh, Stephen King uh, has said that his original novella was a culmination of all the memories he had from watching prison movies as a child. Mm-hmm. I thought that was interesting because I, yeah. I think, you know, uh, in his era, I don't think I've seen a lot of prison movies uh, from that time. So. Me neither. So I don't even yeah. know what that looks like, but... Um, I'm missing out. Yeah. I, I know I've seen The Great Escape, which is very long, but it is a, like a war epic, mm-hmm. so it's deserving of that time. And then there's Cool Hand Luke is another prison movie that people talk about a lot as oh, like one yeah. of the best ever. I haven't seen it, though. I think I unfortunately. have seen that, but oh, I don't know. I, need, I obviously need to go back and watch it if I didn't remember, remember that. <laughs> I feel like my brain only has room for so many movies. Sometimes I'll watch one and I'll oh, think, yeah. oh, I've seen this, you know, so I may have to go right. back and see and that then, again. And then with our day jobs, we end up purging all this movie information out of our brain, like so little at a time. It's like, oh, we have to watch that movie exactly. again. Exactly. Yeah. Well, <laughs> <laughs> well, oh well, good excuse to watch it yes. again. Yes. Uh, I love the fact that Stephen King and Darabont have this relationship. Uh, like, oh yeah, I, I love I the didn't realize that one of the main facts that. Yeah. Right. One of the main facts that I loved was King. Uh, King like sold him the rights to this story for like five thousand dollars, and just never cashed the check. Like he just wow. kept it and framed it. And then he returned it to Darabont like years later. And he was just like, just in case you need like, I don't know, bail money, <laughs> 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 which is, uh, that's funny. That is funny. Uh, but uh, <laughs> yeah, that, that kind of shows their relationship because Darabont has done five movies. One of them was a short film and four of those are Stephen King adaptations. Yeah. Like, yeah. I was looking through his collection. Yeah. Right. And they're all good. <laughs> like, yeah. They're not bad. I haven't seen the short film. I think Darabont hates it himself, but, uh, I know that that's what got King on board with this adaptation, mm-hmm. selling him the rights to this. And then, of course, after that, it was like, you can do whatever story you want, man. And he chose Green Mile in the Mist. And I think that's it, right? Green Mile in the Mist. And those are those are tremendous movies. He did Night Shift Collection, but I think that's like a TV thing. Yes. Yeah. That, I think that was part of the That was a short film, like The Woman in the Room something. I can't remember the name of it. I do think it's interesting, the list of people. That uh, men that were considered for Andy, like f- way more famous people that were considered for Andy. That's very fascinating. Yeah, or, or for Red, you mean, right? Uh, yeah, oh, and Andy, Andy too. Yeah. Like the yeah, like Tom Cruise and stuff like oh, that. Wow, no, I didn't see that. Tom I didn't Hanks. see that part. That's a totally new fact for me. Brad Pitt dropped out as the young inmate Tommy who got uh, shot later in the movie. Spoilers, I guess. I guess I could see <laughs> him being Tommy. Actually, yeah. Right. That'd be jarring now. Like I feel like the cast <laughs> works because we don't really know a lot of the people other than Morgan Freeman and Tim Robbins. That's true. That's true. Yeah, I had a lot of them written down. Some of them, you know, uh, looked familiar, but not not many of them. That that's a really good point. They're kind of frozen in my mind in this movie a little bit. Exactly. Yeah. That's they fit their characters basically, and it might be unfortunate for them, like because now, like the guy who played the brutal guard, uh, Cl- is it Clancy Brown? Um, he's yeah. done nothing but like villain roles. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so poor dude is doing nothing but that now. Uh, and he's like much older. I know. I didn't know who he was, but then I looked at his IMDb page and I saw him with like that flowing hair and I was like, yeah. oh, I've seen him. I know who he is now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I've seen him in so much stuff. He does so much voice work for like DC. I think he, I think he does like Luther. Oh really? Uh, I can see that. Yeah, yeah. It's pretty awesome. Uh, that dude has had a pretty good career. If you like 
dive deep into what what else he's done other than just being live action right uh yeah but uh unfortunately it's all villain roles (laughs) (laughs) well we already kind of touched on the director a little bit i i had the same exact information you did i know he's he's directed two actors in oscar nominated performances and that's morgan freeman and michael clark duncan both you know in shawshank and then in the green mile so there's kind of a connection there yeah both shot in real formerly real prisons really yeah uh, my understanding is that Green Mile was is, was also a decommissioned prison that they found. Wow! Somewhere in America, um, whereas Shawshank was the Ohio State uh, Reformatory in Mansfield, Ohio. Oh, cool! Um, I love that place. Love that place <laughs> oh so yeah, you mentioned you've been there. Can you talk a little bit about that? Like, what was that? How oh, did yeah. you end up going there, and and what was it like? So I'm pretty much. This is kind of. This might strike people as weird, but I'm like just fascinated by the idea of ghost hunting. It's not necessarily something that I'm sure about you know like i'm not like oh there's ghosts trust me i'm just <laughs> i've been on several ghost tours though I, I feel you right yeah, they're fun it's interesting you know mm-hmm. and this one this place does like a public ghost hunt or whatever um and they it's like a fee of i can't remember how much it was but it was worth it like it was like 50 or 70 whatever per person and and you stay there like the entire night from like 8 p.m. to 4. I think we left at 4 in the morning. That's awesome. And, I'm so uh, jealous. Yeah. It's so awesome. <laughs> that, immediately that place is, It's I said 8 p.m., but it's more like I remember arriving earlier in the day because we got there in daylight. And the place is just overwhelming as you're driving up, much like it is in the movie in that first shot. Where, um, not first shot, but one of the first shots of the exterior where uh, the Andy is being dr- driven in on the bus. Mm-hmm. And the camera is like got the entire prison in its scope. Like it's just so overwhelming. And that's exactly the feeling that you get when you drive up to it. It's like, oh man, I think I have full body chills right now just from <laughs> just from looking at the prison. Uh, mm. It's, oh man, it's it, this, this prison is just more, it's as much of a character in it in the movie as the two leads are for crying out loud. It's, it's a, yeah, it's, it's a great place to visit for sure. And even, whether or not you're ghost hunting or not, you can just do a regular tour. You don't have to ghost hunt. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I have a question about the ghost hunting though. Um, because I've yeah. never done like a, I've done like ghost tours. Like I've done some in Boston. Um, I think mm-hmm. I did one in Chicago. Um, I d- I've done one in Europe, which was funny because everywhere oh, you cool. go, they're like, someone died here and here and here. Cause this city is like hundreds of years <laughs> old. Um, yeah. but, uh, um, my question for you was, was there any point during the night where you like halfway regret like were you scared were you ever like oh maybe i shouldn't have done this or you know i regret staying here like did you ever have those moments there's there's moments i get your heart racing like uh, we were in i could tell you like every scene that was shot in the prison um because there's not every single one of them was like the cell blocks for example in the movie was a sound stage mm. that they built uh, on an abandoned factory in ohio and because they're about one of the cells to face each other and they just don't do that at the actual prison the oh. prison cells face the windows because they try to give you know the inmates a little something i guess <laughs> <laughs> um but uh, yeah i just remember like uh, yeah i remember certain moments where we're in like the shower area where they filmed they actually filmed one of the scenes they, i think the shower scene mm-hmm. in the movie and uh, with the sisters and stuff like that um they uh they we were just all sitting there it was like my group of like four people and then there was across the way there was a, a bench with two other people sitting there mm-hmm. and there was like just a loud bang out of nowhere <laughs> And like nobody and my heart was immediately racing like what <laughs> and nobody said anything like people like the other people just got up and slowly walked out they were like nope 
you know, there's just a ton of moments like that. I remember sitting in the uh, the chapel, which is upstairs, and the it's there's a lot of stairs you got to climb uh, to get there, and that's where they filmed the scene where uh, the inmates are all walking, uh, watching a movie, and uh, Andy asked Red to get the poster. Yeah. Um. So that's that's where they shot that. And that's where I felt like I got touched on like the back of my neck Ugh. and I turned around and there was nothing there. Like, you know, my friend was on the uh, pew behind me, but he was way far away and he was like looking in another direction and the pew was very loud. If he moved, it would have creaked so loud. Um, it, I, it was so inexplicable and I don't know. I don't know what the heck it could have been that scared the living crap out of me. It was, I love that. Yeah, so there are moments <laughs> like that, but I'd never, never once was a oh, we gotta go guys because it's just <laughs> get me out of here like, yeah because <laughs> you think of where you are and you're like we can just go to a different area of the prison you know <laughs> right that's true the ghost won't go over um, there for sure. exactly. <laughs> maybe not i don't know <laughs> yeah i uh, uh you know the the hotel that um that supposedly the shining's based on i know Stephen king says no it's all in my mind i came up with it all alone does he clarify that a lot? He says That's that funny. a lot. And it's like, uh, isn't it kind of this hotel? Like he stayed in this, I think it was called like the Stanley Hotel in, yeah, like in New York. Hotel yeah, Colorado. Or Colorado, yeah. sorry. Yeah. And uh, I know you can, uh, I think it's that hotel or there's another hotel claiming that it's the Shining Hotel because I feel like there's more than one that claims that. And uh, at least in one of them, there's an option to like pay a certain amount of money to like, they give you like the... Um, you know, EVP recording equipment and all that. And you can like stay oh, yeah. there. And um, I've always thought about doing that. <laughs> so Yeah. I have, friends, I have friends that live like an hour away from that. Mm. Um, and I've gone up there and visited them and we were going to go up to the hotel just to do a regular tour, just to see what it was like. Mm -hmm. And they've since then, since then they've shied away from doing the ghost hunt stuff because uh. they want, they, they host so many weddings. They were just like, you know, this isn't a really a good look for us, <laughs> but it's like, you're, you're like this iconic hotel and you're just basically shutting out that history of your, that's so annoying. Yeah. Yeah. No. And when you said like, I don't know if everyone would be into this. I feel like the, the, uh, the audience that listens to this podcast would be really into that. Like, I feel like oh, cool. when people listen to this, they're going to start looking that up. I know I'm, I'm probably going to, again, I'm biased. I I've, have gone to a few ghost. Uh, oh, that's things, awesome. So, cool. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad I'm not talking to a stranger. I brought Charles <laughs> on one, actually. Uh, the guy, uh, the friend who, mutual friend who guested oh, on the show yeah, before. He added everyone in a private group, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah and, he did. And, and uploaded like updates and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I remember yeah. that. <laughs> there wasn't a whole lot that happened, honestly, but you can't really plan for stuff to happen. It just kind of does. Right. You know, right. That is so Some cool. Nights are, nights are dead and literally i guess and <laughs> some nights are very active I don't, I don't know uh that house is really cool though it's right outside the baker um that charles and i went to mm -hmm. but yeah the prison uh something fascinating i think about the architecture of it like the guy who built it specifically uh designed it to kind of almost resemble a church mm -hmm. that would be built that. centuries before that because they much like in the movie that's titled shawshank redemption they wanted this to kind of inspire the inmates to seek like a spiritual enlightenment while they were there. Um, I, th I found that to be super fascinating. Like that's, that's a true thing. And, and the fact that they landed this prison, this prison was decommissioned like two years before they shot there. Oh, wow. That's just crazy that the timing of that, mm -hmm. like everything just fell into place for this movie. <laughs> it's yeah, so cool. That is really cool. Um, yeah. That's interesting. The whole, I mean, yeah, it's called Shawshank Redemption. Um, mm -hmm. And just the themes in this movie about, about that and if that's true if that's happening or what is happening in there i just feel like it's interesting uh this movie seems like it really kind of was maybe like a tipping point or at least picking up on how people were starting to feel about prison systems and how 
Yeah. You know, and it's like it, things are so different now, I think, than even like 94 um, in terms oh, yeah. of how the public views incarceration. So oh, I can't yeah. wait we've to seen, that. <laughs> In 2018, we've seen way too many documentaries to turn a blind eye to the current state of the industrial prison complex. Right, exactly. <laughs> and this movie, in a way, was ahead of its time considering that now. I think so. I felt um, like at the time, or it, I mean, it could have also been my age, but it was sort of like eye-opening for me. Like, I don't remember oh, ever, yeah, you know, reading in history books like, hey, kids, you know, you think just everyone in prison's bad, but guess what? It's terrible in there and it's not fair. Yeah. You know, like nobody ever said that. I just assumed everyone yeah. in there was evil. And, That's you know. That's why the prison was closed down. The real prison was closed down because of, uh, it, it was just unlivable. Like it was overcrowded and their inhumane living conditions. They were sharing cells. They were, there were small cells. They, mm-hmm. they were sharing cells that were like five to six people in there. And there's just not room for that. Um, they ended up like, there's a roof to not a roof, but like an attic to the, uh, one of the cell blocks. And they ended up stashing prisoners in there and just putting beds in there. Oh, that's awful. And that's like wide open. And, and I remember re- hearing that they had like a riot there one time and, and they put like 20 people in one solitary confinement and there's just not room for that. Yeah. So they ended up having to just shut down the entire, which is a shame because you look at the prison, you're kind of like, I mean, this is kind of the prison that I would want in this, in this, you know, whatever you call it industry. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, it's beautiful. And I don't know, there's something to consider for the way it gives at least those tall windows to the outside world for those inmates that are that are there. I don't, I don't know. It's supposed to be an inspiring architecture. Like, yeah, it's like it's just a shame. The architect had a vision of it doing yeah. good and then it ended up being used for the opposite. So, exactly. Yeah. And it was the people that ran it that did the opposite, you know, right. which is much more. There's a lot of parallels to the movie. Exactly. It's, it always comes down to being about money. Man, you're preaching mm. the choir on that one. <laughs> <laughs> I have so many thoughts about that. But anyway, uh, let's dive into we kind of, like I said, we introduced the director. I feel like in this movie, there's so many characters that we can kind of run through. I uh, was wondering yeah. if you wanted to just go ahead and kind of dive into the plot. I may lean on you a little bit if you want to kind of uh, introduce each scene that you want to talk about and I'll chime in and, and go with that. Uh, does that work for you? Yeah, sure. Well, okay. Go ahead and start. Well, I think, I mean, I don't mean to go chronologically, but the no, opening did leave quite an impression on me because of the way that the story was told, how he's in the courtroom and then he's, it's a flashback and he's, you know, outside of his uh, wife's cabin or wherever the crap they were filming that and <laughs> i can't remember where they, i think they filmed that also in ohio and it's like just some cabin you know mm-hmm. um but yeah it's just the way that they cut that story around and and at that age that impressionable age for me i i, I don't think i'd recalled seeing a story told like that mm-hmm. um so i found that really really interesting at that age that really young age and something i'm realizing as i'm older is they never showed him walking away they never showed him also doing the crime so you're kind of left to go well what happened you know like right they just kind of said he was guilty because he's a weird he's kind of a weird he's a hard read like i said he's a weird dude well Um, and i mean what he did i mean he you know we find out in that scene with the courtroom and the flashbacks and everything was that he was uh you know very upset about uh what his wife was doing that she had this lover yeah um and that she had actually requested for a divorce kind of came clean he said no to that which i feel mm-hmm. like nowadays like under a modern lens you know you, you wouldn't no, say no up. yeah that's messed up yeah. <laughs> and then and then to make it worse he then goes on this like drinking spree and mm-hmm. gets a loaded gun and goes to confront her i mean yeah. i don't know it's like I, there's sort of an area of like 
grayness there. Because I mean, yeah, most of the time, even if he didn't do it, you could still call that premeditated intent. You know? Oh yeah, for so sure. It's like I don't know if he would do it or not. I feel like mm-hmm. at the time when this came out. I definitely think your audience is like way more forgiving of like, well, he didn't do it. He had a moment of weakness, but I feel like nowadays we might look at that and think it got really close. I mean, yeah, the, the fact well, that it's too close. Yeah. Footsteps away from a crime. Exactly. And it's kind of <laughs> like, I think now we look at even the issue of infidelity, marriage, all that has changed so much, certainly from yeah. the point that this movie is told in the time period it's in. And then even mm-hmm. in the time when it was made, I feel like now we would say, you know, infidelity is pretty terrible, but I, I don't think you should kill somebody. But I do kind of feel like audiences back then, uh, I, myself included, were like, well, he had a moment of weakness and yeah. like he was really we upset for him because of the journey that we're on with him. Right, like, we're, right. We're like, and we're taking uh, his he goes word through for some it. Stuff, you yeah. Know? Yes. And I still think even in the in the rest of the movie, I know Tim Robbins is convinced that Andy's innocent. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people are, too. But there's an entire theory you could really dive into about did he he probably did it. Like, I mean, yeah. this dude was one of the <laughs> smartest dudes to ever enter that prison. That's true. Mm-hmm. No, and he clearly had somebody on the outside helping him set up this fake idea, or at least in the book he did. He had this oh, no, uh, somebody he, he helping him. He does in the movie this. too with the money laundering. Uh, oh, okay. Remember, he invents that whole character right. uh, that's that's all the money's funneling to, but then he later uses it when he gets out. And that's how he withdraws all the money out of the bank. Spoilers, guys. Right. There's no there's yes, no spoilers. spoiler wall on this, on this podcast. Yeah. But yeah, you're absolutely right. Oh my gosh, I didn't even think about that. Yeah, he could have just had somebody tell Tommy to tell... Oh man, that's that's a rabbit hole right there. He, it, <laughs> Maybe it, he I just feel like did. That Tommy is too... Not, not, like too innocent and naive to lie about somebody bragging about that. Yeah. But I feel like the person that was bragging about, oh, I killed this couple could have been lying. Like people, inmates did that. They kind of bent the truth to take credit for a lot of crimes that they didn't do. Oh, they do just that to now. Get a reputation. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so I, I don't know. He, Andy believed it, of course. And, and the warden wasn't having this little inkling of hope. <laughs> so they right. killed Tommy, shut him up. And put Andy into solitary for two months. I mean, made sure he know, knows his place. But you could argue, like, this dude's a mastermind. He, you know, <laughs> I never even thought crime. that I love that. <laughs> <laughs> like, 20 years in jail, <laughs> the entire time he's working on escaping it, and he does it, and it's perfect. It's just, I don't know. I'd, sure, yeah. he still served his time, but the movie does a successful job at making you forget the crime that he was even tried for. That's up true. At, I mean, up until certain points where they reintroduce it with that other inmate. Mm-hmm. who's talking about committing that crime himself. But uh, it kind of makes you focus on the actual human being behind right. the crime. And the movie does that the entire time. Like, I don't think, I don't think you find out what red really does except for murder. Right. Like you don't really find out who he does it to or no, I don't maybe, think I, maybe so. I missed that. I don't know. I, I don't think yeah. so. I think it's kind of just left unsaid. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It did seem like he killed somebody though. Like mm-hmm. in, in the way that he was talking at the end there. Yeah. It's the whole uh, idea of like, are you the person that did that now? You know? It, right. And, uh, and there's just no way he's mm-hmm. so much older. <laughs> right. 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 Yeah. I mean, I feel like in general, we're so interested in, you know, crime and punishment. We're, but we're so mm-hmm. focused on punishment. We don't even sometimes know what that means. We don't know how right. long that takes. And we're very, uninterested in rehabilitation i mean i think that's yeah that's yeah that's what that's what i was gonna say is along the way we replace the word rehabilitation with punishment 
And then the entire movie, these people are being punished, and then they have the gall to ask these prisoners, do you feel rehabilitated? It's just yeah. insane. It's like a slap in the face. And no wonder Morgan Freeman reacted that way, or Red reacted that way near the end of the movie uh, as he's getting freed. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it's almost kind of an insult, too, that they approved his release when he was like, you know what? I don't really care about my life anymore. <laughs> like, And they're like, all right, well, you're good then. We don't, we don't need to punish you anymore. It's worked. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I feel like it's like, you know, live in this incredibly toxic environment where it's extremely violent and unjust. Yeah. And then that is supposed to cure you from being, you know, bad. Yeah. It's like what? That doesn't make sense, but <laughs> so, it, it, so it doesn't. But yeah, yeah. I, I still, I, I am going to, I have one last thing to say about Andy. What we're trying to say folks is that he's a sociopath and that, uh, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> But I do like I do like that theory. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) No, I I think I think you're right in that I think we're meant to be on his side, and and I think we're supposed to say like, yeah, what he did is horrible. He had a moment of weakness. Mm -hmm. Uh, Does that one moment define the rest of your life Um, in terms of whether he did it or not? Does it right? You know. Yeah, and this movie is called The Shawshank Redemption, not right. Andy Redemption. So, like, it's really about <laughs> Andy trying to redeem. He's, like, more or less the light of the movie. Right. Trying to be spread throughout the entire prison. That's just this dark muck of, I don't know, a cesspool of society or whatever. Like, it's just, there's so much violence there, uh, whether it's committed by, the the like, the sisters, for example, or the guards. Mm-hmm. And he's just trying to spread it through, like, knowledge and just giving a crap about your existence and uh so i mean in a way you can't help but root for him regardless oh, of, of yeah he's definitely the good guy whatever <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah no no i definitely i i had never thought of this movie that way and i admit i don't think i've seen it in a while mm-hmm. but when i was re-watching it i couldn't help but notice that and it's something that i i hadn't really thought of in my past viewings i always just went oh yeah he's innocent and you know, uh, this is so terrible. Now I'm like, well, objectively yeah. now, if I was like, you know, on a jury, I don't know that I would say he's a hundred percent innocent, but, um, you know, beyond a reasonable doubt, I don't know, right. but uh, it's like the judge said, you you've been nothing but cold in this courtroom and right. stuff like that. They just took his miss. They took his demeanor as like a, you know, guilt. Yeah. Basically. There's no DNA testing. So <laughs> yeah, they didn't have, and that's why that's so perfect that they, you know, the story was written in this time frame. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love that it's a timeless movie, but it's a period piece at the same time. It's great. Yeah, <laughs> you really yeah. could put this because prisoners don't have access to the same stuff that we do, right? Um, Technology wise, or maybe they do. I have no idea what's going on in prison, but <laughs> <laughs> I know. <laughs> but you know, seems, I watched like, like Orange is the New Black. I kind yeah. of have an idea now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I watched that show some, some, and they kind of <laughs> snuck a cell phone in there one time. But other than that, uh, uh, but it seems like you could tell this story in any decade, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah it might even be the same now with all the guards and stuff like that. Yeah. You hear horror stories often. Really. I would, yeah, I would yeah. say probably the biggest change would be kind of like in how this movie, the director uh, changed Morgan's Freeman's character to be a person of color. I think mm-hmm. that would probably be the biggest thing you would change yeah. now, you know, to be a, more of a reflection of what's actually what's, what's happening, you know? Right. Uh, but, uh, but yeah. Uh, so after this scene, what, what's like your next favorite or, or next scene that stands out to you after that? It's hard to define a lot of these scenes as my favorite because there's a lot of, again, there's a lot of depressing stuff. <laughs> like, I just movie, love but, this part. Yeah, I but that. I do love certain parts <laughs> because of their impact. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I remember the sisters attack Andy, right. And, uh, yeah. the lead, the lead sister, I forget his, his name. Um, I'm sure we'll be reminded, but, down. 
but he's saying all these horrible things to Andy, like about all the things that he's going to do to him. And then they just mm-hmm. end up beating him up anyway. But then the following scene is the guard. Cause this is by this point, Andy's in good with the warden and the guards, right? He's doing them. favors. Yeah. So the guard beats the ever living daylights out of the sister. And to the point where like, it's di- the way it's directed and scored is like in a way that kind of makes you feel bad, even though this dude is obviously he's a bad guy. He's beating up Andy, but Really, as Red says later, he's just been institutionalized and brainwashed. And oh, his name's Boggs, right? Boggs, that's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I completely agree. I mean, I, I feel like everything in there, in the in that prison, and mm-hmm. in probably in a lot of prisons, it's like there's a hierarchy in constant fear and constantly being on the edge and in yeah. dominance. I mean, they're being subjugated, and so they're turning around and doing that to each other. Exactly. And so even though he's so evil, watching him get beat like that is yeah. still sad. And it's yeah. pretty strong of the movie that you're able to feel anything for someone mm-hmm. who is, you know, a rapist. Yeah, and, exactly. It's but, like a perfect storm of just. Mm-hmm directing and scoring and acting and cinematography roger deakins the man mm-hmm. you know like it's just oh a yeah you know, like, <laughs> finally won <laughs> right <Yeah>. oscar winner <laughs> Oscar winner. <laughs> roger deakins finally um for the right movie too i i would say people might say oh it's just a career award but no i mean no way the heck out of Blade Runner 2049. That's just Dude, it was beautiful. There's yeah. no way. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, but that that scene really left an impression on me because the scene before I'm like, oh, these guys are scum. And then I'm like, well, don't beat them like that. You know, it's just it's such <laughs> a weird dynamic. And this movie takes you on like it's so bizarre. Um, yeah. Well, I think it has you questioning, like, what got Boggs to the point he was at, right. you know? Yeah, for it's sure. at least a question. Um, I'm not excusing anything he did, but it's like. Yeah, it's like how did he get there? How do how do how does anybody get there? And it, I think it has you doubting and questioning, um, rightfully so. So yeah, definitely. And I think uh, another scene I wanted to mention was Brooks. The entire sequence of Brooks getting released. Um, uh, that's so painful. I kind of want to turn away, but it's sort of weirdly like like you were saying, not my favorite, but it's the most very impact. powerful. Yeah, like mm-hmm. I as I watched this uh, a few months ago, I posted on Facebook that this is just my personal page i posted like this is just the most depressing i think it's the most depressing sequence <laughs> to exist in cinema like on a human level like you just you feel every emotion of his loneliness and his isolation in in that entire sequence like i i watched a cinefix video and i love those guys by the way definitely subscribe oh, to yeah. those dudes mm-hmm. they did this uh top three moments of visual emotion like basically using the camera to tell you how you should feel instead of the actor or whatever and yeah. so what they did in, in the sequences where he's walking around the just exploring, really, every mm-hmm. extra has like either their back turned towards him or they're looking away from him. So nobody's paying any any mind to him. And I think that's just a brilliant that shows the brilliance of Darabont's directing, because I think that's you have to be directed to do that. Uh, but right. it kind of conveys like that nobody cares about this guy. And the only person that turns towards him at any moment before he kills himself uh, tragically is the his boss to scold him. Well, you got to you know, right. make sure double bag, you know, like that's the only time anybody gives him any FaceTime. And, and it's just they really just convey it like super well with just visuals. And it's just stunning. It's mm-hmm. remarkable. Like it's definitely I, I, it's hard to say again, hard to say favorite, but it is something that sticks with me. I always think of that sequence, um, especially because that ends up being the driving force for the rest of the movie is seeing how Red mm-hmm. and Andy and how all of them react to it. 
Um, you know what it kind of reminds me of? Um, and I didn't think about it until I rewatched it this time, but it, it sort of reminds me of that scene in the Hurt Locker, like towards the end. Man, I haven't seen that in a while. When the, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when uh, uh, Jeremy Renner like goes to the grocery store. I do remember and that. And he's like, yeah. he's looking through all the cereals and he's just literally overwhelmed at the thought of civilian life. Yeah. It kind of reminded me of that. Like, mm-hmm. I, I, I don't know. It's just it, it very well conveyed something that, I, since I have not served in the military or gone right. overseas, uh, as someone that hasn't been in prison, like, you know, that shows a good director right there. They can mm-hmm. really convey that to you. Um, the, yeah, that, that scene with Brooks is so heartbreaking on so many levels. Yeah. I mean, I can't help but even just thinking about even if he hadn't been in prison, just being so old and being scolded at and mm. being, you know, just bagging groceries and, oh, just, it's so terrible. I know, right? <laughs> and you just live in, and he talks about the fear that you live with and, and Red later reiterates that too when he's free, talking about living yeah. with a fear that you're, I don't know, either, and, and it's hard to even identify what that fear is. Like, you think somebody's going to attack you out there? You're, you're tempted to commit your fear of committing a uh, being tempted to commit a crime again to get back in prison because it's the only thing you know or what is that fear like it's just so many yeah. <laughs> they just don't answer it well if, <laughs> i feel like there's just like so much structure when you're in prison i mean someone's telling you what to do every single second of the day i that's got to be weird to have that every day and then suddenly it's all up to you would be scary and then also the fact that they had each other in prison like a little family by the time brooks gets out i mean everyone's probably passed on um and also that weird sort of time travel feeling he has of not having access to the outside world and then suddenly like you know he talks about all the cars have changed and like oh just all that is just yeah it's just like intense loneliness yeah when he's walking those streets you can just you can feel a man out of time you're just like what what do you do it does feel time travel-y in that way Mm -hmm. where you're like what is he doing in these 20 20 that he's in the 20s or the movie's in the 40s right when he's released or whatever i I lose track of the time, but you can tell that there's way more cars, right? And he, when he entered prison, there wasn't. Yeah, I have a note here. Um, the the uh, the crime that Andy Dufresne commits was in 1947. So like, oh like wow, late okay. 40s, early 50s, probably. Yeah. Right. Yeah, he just didn't didn't belong in that time. It's pretty clear based on how he was trying to cross the street and almost got ran over. He just didn't know how right of way worked. Or, yeah. or maybe the driver didn't apparently. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's just, you, you see that guy in prison and you're like, what's he doing in prison? You know, but he, you don't realize he's been there since he was like 20 or something. Right. You know? And then there's that question again, are you the same person at 20 that mm-hmm. you are 50 years later? Is it fair to punish someone that right. is that much older? Are they different now? Yeah. And then you could argue that being free from prison is a punishment in itself too, at that age. Uh, you know, it's like, it's like Oh, I know. What are you doing? Yeah. And he has nobody. So it's like, right. yeah, it's, uh, it's rough. <laughs> oh, his room, by the way, where he ended up writing the Brooks was here. His room was also shot in the prison. Oh, really? Um, yeah. It was one of those, they have those two. Uh, if you look up a picture of the front of the exterior of the prison, there's two like built, they look like homes, houses on the, uh, sides mm-hmm. there or whatever. And there's one of those, I know one of those is like the warden's quarters. The warden, the warden lived there. Uh, so they acted that as a house. That must be fun for him. <laughs> I know, right? Uh, but so they turned some of those rooms into actual like sets. Like, oh, you know, gotcha. You know, okay. Red, the, uh, meets the committee to tell him he's rehabilitated. Mm-hmm. And then uh, there's the warden's office that's there. They just kind of like reconfigured these rooms to fit certain scenes. Gotcha. Um, which is brilliant. I just, oh, 
I love the way they use the prison in this movie. It's so mm-hmm. cool. Yeah. Especially walking into those rooms and you're like, oh my God, there's the safe. And you just get full chills again, regardless of mm-hmm. what the paranormal stuff is that's going on there. <laughs> <You're> <laughs> like, so awesome. we're, we're in the room where they shot this. Like, it's crazy. <laughs> Uh, sorry, I lost my train of thought. But yeah, the Brooks yeah, sequence okay. <laughs> and then the, the red speech afterwards where he talks about the institutionalized and explains it, what it is to... That was like mind-blowing as a teenager. I was like, whoa. Yeah. Like, it was it was a definite aha moment for me yeah. and I'd never considered that at all. And then, you know, when they... The way that they show it, it's like you completely understand it. It mm-hmm. kind of... It definitely like impacts you after you see it for sure. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it, ch- it definitely changed my thinking. Um, mm-hmm. when I saw it at the right age, of course, as a kid, I yeah. it's lost on me, but yeah, as you're growing <laughs> older in your adolescence and stuff, you're like, Oh, okay. <laughs> That's mm-hmm. why these prisoners is totally screwed. Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> I thoroughly enjoyed Red's. This is obligatory at this point. Cause we've already name dropped mm-hmm. it, but Red's speech at the end. It's yes. just a, a brilliant moment in both directing and acting. Um, because directing wise, this is something tiny that I noticed last night when I was up really late watching like reunion videos and interviews of this movie. Um, I was watching this scene again and the guard is like looming behind red the entire time he's talking, he's first answering questions. And then the more that he talks and starts going into his speech, the camera zooms in and the guard is completely out of the shot. So it's like, you know what I'm saying? Like that, there's that presence behind Mm -hmm. him of like, you are not free here. And then the more he talks, the more free he becomes, you know, the more closer to freedom he becomes. And it suddenly it, it just adds a whole layer of context just in one zoom, you know, in one. I think it's a dolly shot or whatever. But to me, it struck me as a zoom. I, th- I think Tim's a camera guy, right? Like he can. Yeah, yeah. Tim will definitely. <laughs> and, I, you know, he saw this yeah. movie. He loves this movie because oh, Stephen King. And yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I thought, I thought that was a very interesting <laughs> choice to have that just that presence in the background and to have the. I don't know the attention to detail to kind of fade it, like not fade it out, but as you're zooming in, it goes, it completely disappears. And it's just red saying, just stamp your form. I don't give an, you know, and it's just such a great moment um, yes. of writing to Darabont wrote the entire thing. He made so many changes um, that worked for the better of the movie and for the better of mm-hmm. like, they didn't, he didn't have to kill Tommy. He just did that. You know, like that was just, he wrote that to make us angry because <laughs> he knew what, how right. we would feel after seeing that. Uh, for yeah, sure. that dude deserves so much credit for this movie. Yeah, yeah, he's 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 a script doctor too, isn't he? Like he did a, so, he yeah. did a lot of rewrites on movies, and he's really good at kind of cleaning them up. I feel like the best Stephen King movies are handled that way. They're not one hundred percent true to the book, and it's hard yeah. to say why. Like I'm I'm a big Stephen King fan, and I've read a few of his mm-hmm. books, and I, I really like them. But I have to admit, when I really like the the movie adaptations, they do change things and i feel like they changed the right things mm-hmm. so i think yeah i i mean if we're talking about the shining which has the biggest discrepancy from book to screen <laughs> um i can kind of see where king's anger came from with that movie because it's totally different than what he had originally intended to tell for sure and um, it's so personal which, exactly and mm-hmm. with shawshank it's like a short story so he's kind of like eh, you know make yeah. the changes he still <laughs> slipped in uh addiction in there though because it seems like i noticed this watching that uh, Andy asks for the guard to provide everyone with beers, but he doesn't drink. Oh yeah. And they made a big point at the beginning of, of showing him with that alcohol bottle. And he mentions that he drank a lot that night. So I felt like it was kind of like a, he realized that was part of it for him. 
I did you know? not even connect the. Do- I should have connected those dots. I'm over here talking about camera zooms and crap. I didn't notice. <laughs> I didn't <laughs> well, notice. Well, I'm like not good at the camera zoom part, so I I definitely need that insight. <laughs> But still, it's like such a they painted it so like obvious at the beginning, the alcohol being such a uh, uh, something that led to his potential violence and his own. He could blame that for his incarceration along with himself, of course. But mm-hmm. so that's why he didn't take a drink. I never considered that. Like I never it just that just blew my mind right now. I kind of thought when I was younger, I was like, <laughs> I guess he's just kind of he's kind of a, a weirdo. You know, he's just yeah. like, I that's don't even need says, it. More or less. Like, yeah. oh, I just wanted to be alive or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I, but yeah, like when I was watching it this time and just knowing, you know, from, um, some of the podcasts I've listened to and from also researching the shining on my own, I knew that was like a big sore spot for him. in that story was painting the alcoholic father as, as, as evil Mm -hmm. when Stephen King himself has openly talked about struggling with addiction. So that would mean he's a, bad person so it's like you know i think he kind of he has that theme in a lot of his stories of sort of retelling the same retelling some things about himself a little bit right. which i think every writer does yeah, to some extent every creator but does he that does it. yeah it's yeah. yeah and his are very intentional mm. i mean to where you see like you know kind of like with the kids with like stand by me and then it and then like you could keep finding that group of kids over and over again in his writing mm-hmm. and i feel like this this is kind of like another thing like that for me oh, that man, I that's noticed. interesting that's you're blowing my mind right now i need a minute <laughs> no i'm kidding <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh i love that this movie taught me what uh ziwataneho i feel cultured knowing that it's a place <laughs> that exists <laughs> yeah oh man you when you when you said it i was like i i wouldn't even try to repeat it <laughs> I love the uh, I watched the Family Guy uh, sketch or parody of this, too. And it ends there is I mean, there's a lot of similar scenes like but they, you know, parody it in a way that airplane would Uh, example Uh where Andy goes, why are you being so obtuse? And then the warden does like an acute angle with his body. And then Andy (laughs) goes, I remember this. Uh, There is a part later on where he's. you know, Cleveland is playing red and Peter is Andy and Peter gets out, you know, of course, cause that's the story. And so does red, mm-hmm. but he reaches the box at the tree uh, and opens it. And, and, you know, all Andy wrote was, do you remember the name of that place that I told you about? And Cleveland's just like, no, he just doesn't remember it. <laughs> yeah. Cause like, why would he? Billy, like I don't know, they didn't write it down right. or anything, and it's kind of a long too, name, right? Like, I mean, how would yeah. you remember that? I would not. I'd be like, well, I guess I'm not seeing my friend. Like, <laughs> <laughs> it's a good impression, by the way. It's a mix of Cleveland and Morgan Freeman. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> beautiful, beautiful. Um, I think uh, Darabont has denied that this was intended to be some type of uh, message in Christianity or something, but I think it's clearly there, right? Like about false prophets with the warden. Now he talks about Christianity and has all these things up. I have never really? heard this theory, so I'm, I'm excited. Um, and how and how Andy? I mean, there's just little things there, right? Like the the warden talks about being this man of God, but he's just really just a false prophet who just uses his whatever religion to justify how he can get away with so much abuse and let guards can you know contribute mm-hmm. to that abuse. And Andy is the guy who ends up taking the punishment of all of his prisoners. You know, like he. Uh, I like can see that. Yeah, there's sort of like a messianic right. layer and there. Like the the beer yeah. stuff, the the entire beer scene is like a, a Last Supper equivalent or something. Um, 
Oh, cool. Okay. Yeah. No, I definitely didn't yeah. pick up on that. And, I like and that. And like you though. could argue his solitary of two months is, uh, which I think that was filmed in the prison too. Those cells, it's hard to tell. Uh, but uh, do you think those, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say that's kind of like his punishment of, you know, whenever he was, uh, I don't know, when Jesus was doing whatever, getting punished. I don't, I, I forget religious stuff. I'm sorry. <laughs> No, no, no. I really like it. But do you think if that's there, if that's intentionally yeah. there, would that have been Stephen King or would that be more? Um, I feel like it's in the book. Know, I feel like it is in okay. the book. Like the moments that people allude to is like, oh, Christianity is talked about in this movie. So maybe it's a Christian story. Uh, I feel like that's Stephen King because that stuff was in the book, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, but Darabon is like, I just want people to take their own message away from it. And if it's a deeper meaning, yeah. then that's even better. You know, like, yeah, that's what all filmmakers want. And I think either way, like, even if it's not intentionally mm -hmm. Christian, like, oh, this is a testament to Christianity. I, I think that at the very least using themes and ideas that we're familiar with, yeah. uh, especially in our culture uh, here in America, um, you know, that's that's a story everyone here pretty much is very familiar with. Yeah. And so they would understand those themes. And I mean, it is about redemption um so i could see a religious layer being added to it yeah yeah i could see that yeah for sure never thought about that but now i kind of want to read an article about it and oh that's like it's one of the main things on the wikipedia it's like as soon as you scroll past oh, the cast it's like that. analysis the film has been interpreted as being a uh, as being grounded in christian mysticism and i'm <laughs> like huh all right yeah okay could you hear that a lot for like a lot of movies that i don't necessarily agree with like right. you know people are like Harry Potter or, you know, things like, you know, I'm like, I don't know. I mean, I could, yeah, there's, you know, there is a one true savior thing, but you know, you could say that's in a lot of literature. I, yeah, I don't mm -hmm. know, but yeah, no, I, I think the, the few scenes that you mentioned specifically, they do seem to. Yeah. Ziwatanejo being like a, a type of metaphor for heaven or paradise or something, the afterlife, which it did give that vibe honestly like the fact that they went out of their way to not even go to the real Zuatanejo they were like we're going to the island we're going to a totally different island and it's going to be beautiful like just we're just going to film it there because <laughs> it looks like paradise it really does yeah um, and, I even, and that's, yeah yeah and even as a kid uh, I guess it's kind of jumping ahead a little bit but mm -hmm. the ending I, I sometimes wondered if that really happened or not or if that was like a I know right a fantasy version because I feel like yeah I was going to say now, yeah, because he wrote on the same thing with what Brooks was here. He wrote, so was Red. And I'm like, oh, he's just going to off himself too. And like, I I don't know. Like, yeah, <laughs> so yeah. many theories you can compile from this movie. <laughs> right. It could be, it could be, so was Red and, and Red lived on or oh, so yeah. was, yeah, yeah. Or yeah. he decided to do the same thing Brooks did. Which would have been, oh man, people would hate this movie if that happened. <laughs> <laughs> it definitely can't happen in the movie, mm -hmm. but you could walk away with your own interpretation, right. I think. Yeah. yeah. I feel like if the movie were made now, probably. Right. <laughs> like, I just feel like now, I mean, we're sort of in a phase where like, if it's not like, I don't know, like Marvel or something, it, it, it takes like a dark turn. So yeah. it, it could potentially, but. <laughs> But uh, I, I prefer the way it ended. I prefer like not knowing, I guess. I like uh, that. Um, yeah. I like that the movie changed. Like I think Darabont said in an interview that he originally had the ending being red getting on the bus and just leaving to an uncertain future, but a hopeful future. And the studio was like uh, Castle Rock Entertainment was like, eh, you got to give the audience more, man. Like you've got, you've been building up to I this agree. reunion and you just don't deliver it. You got to give them something more. So they, 
kind of convinced them to shoot that. And thank goodness they did, because that is one that's just like a mwah, that's just like the perfect, yeah. you know, icing on the cake or whatever uh, the expressions are. I don't know. But, <laughs> but it's, <laughs> no, I totally agree. I think in some movies it would be like over the top, yes. like corny, like, oh, everything was perfect. But in this movie, because they focus so much on hope, the whole uh-huh. film, it's like we need to see that happen. Right. We need to see a good ending. Otherwise, you know, why call it redemption if it just ends yeah. with like, well, that's the way, you know, the yeah. cookie crumbles. It's just life's crappy. You know, like we, we need to see like mm-hmm. the hope that he believed. Right. In. And yeah. and not to mention it, it's helpful that I think in the, no, the book is a little different, I think, uh, but it, seeing the prison too, also in a better place than it was when Andy first got there. Um, that's, that's assuring for the audience too. That's another whole layer of gratification to, the two and a half hours. It's not misery. It's not like complete misery, but uh, like there's some great moments in there that remind me of like some of the best, like coming of age movies where people are just doing things in the prison, you know, like he's just doing the library stuff, you know? And I love those sequences too. Like where uh, he's just doing taxes for a bunch of guards and he's asking other fellow inmates for help. Like they're his hands, you know, and eyes. Um, And I, yeah, I don't know. That's, that's done as well as any emotional moment in the movie. I think this movie is pretty much perfect if I had to like, for me, like mm-hmm. not objectively or whatever, because that doesn't really <laughs> exist, but it's just, if I, you couldn't have edited it any like better in my opinion. No, I, um, I, I agree. Yeah. Uh, I love all the library stuff so much, especially oh, the idea that like, well, because like Stephen King wrote it and he's such, you know, a great author that he's mm-hmm. sort of imbuing that whole idea of like the power of the written word literally, you know, it was a book. So that's I, I like that. Uh, I like that idea about being free, you know, in your mind. And um, Andy talks about that a lot in the movie about how, you know, you can't completely take everything away, like yeah. music, and which is another probably one of my favorite scenes was the part. Oh, with the, yeah. That was uh, another yeah. obligatory one. I just skipped over that. But uh, my oh, no, it's okay. But yeah, that is a great scene, too. I love that scene. Uh, I yeah. It's Mozart, yeah. right? I think that he plays or whatever. No, it's a it's an opera. Is it? Uh, cause, uh, cause red says I, you know, to this day, I don't know what those two Italian women were singing, but <laughs> I love that line too. <laughs> like I prefer not to, because he said some things are better left unsaid right. and just, you know, yeah. allow that moment to be beautiful. So and, much poetry in this yeah. movie. Uh, and a yeah. lot of it you could say comes from Darabont's mind. A lot of it comes from King's mind. It's like Darabont just had a, a total grasp on the poetry that King had already written and just kind of expanded upon it. I feel like if King picked the music in that scene, it would be like rock and roll or something. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the Christine yeah, soundtrack. It'd be or something. like Elvis. Uh, <laughs> yeah. that time, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> right. Oh man, I love the Family Guy spoof that they play uh, Gwen Stefani, Holler Batgirl, instead of the. Oh Mozart. my gosh, I gotta watch this it's episode so again. It's so stupid. It's it's so <laughs> great, and Cleveland's like, I had no idea what that white lady was singing about, and it's so freaking funny. <laughs> it's accurate. <laughs> Nobody knows exactly. <laughs> oh man that's awesome. i love that i love i do love that scene though especially like the build-up to uh you know you see andy's just elation and his just pure delight at giving himself and his fellow inmates this moment and uh of life i guess you could say through art and you see the intimidating guard at the door he's like threatening to come in and andy doesn't care he's just smiling away like he knows what's coming but he just doesn't care I just, I love that. It's just mm-hmm. so good. <laughs> yeah, it's just like a real flip in, uh, mm-hmm. I guess, like the power dynamic. They're never able really to 
to overwhelm no. him yeah. ever. And I think a lot of it, you know, you don't know till the end of the movie, but a lot of it is also because he he has a plan and he literally has hope, not just figuratively the way that everyone thinks he does. They're all kind of like, oh, he's just really, really hopeful. It's like, no, he literally is digging a way out. (laughs) So that's always in the back of his mind. It's like, well, no matter what they do to me, I'm getting out of here. So who cares? That kind of frees him up to do all kinds of things that that maybe he wouldn't do if he didn't have that exit. Yeah, right. And he... uh he clearly had been digging that hole for many years, but something I think it kind of makes me ask how long did he stay after the hole was already finished? You know, how, until that tunnel was finished, like did he stay to try and impart more wisdom on the prison perhaps? I mean, that's a possibility. And I feel like the urgency came after Tommy died and then he found out, yeah. that, you know, he was potentially exonerated uh, more or less. Um, well, he's not because the guy right. died. But he was like, "Okay, well, I got to get out of here because these guys are going to kill me when they, when they find out what I did to all the records and stuff." Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I thought that. I don't know. I, it, it raises the question for sure because they don't really spell that out. Like, it would have been. I mean, it would have been how powerful if they included in something that kind of showed that the, the tunnel was already done and he just stayed to help his fellow men. But I get it. You don't want to stay in that prison, so. <laughs> right, right, and and I like the added like little detail I guess I didn't pick up on before with the with the hammer because I mean that's literally what he used and you know they joke about he's like when you see it you'll realize there's no way I can get out and then he's (laughs) like oh yeah I I realize after seeing it there's no way it's like just planting that idea in everyone's Mm -hmm. head that it can't happen and it's kind of like again sort of like I don't know if I'm being too crazy here but like it's sort of like a metaphor for the whole movie. It's like when you don't think something can happen, when you don't think things can yeah. improve, when you lose that hope, that's that's what's holding you back. And that's what was not holding him back. Because he right. he knew, he's like, yeah, it's going to take forever. But right. I've got all the time in the world. So <laughs> I'm not he, uh, getting out of here without it, you know? I think he started, I think he asked for that originally to, I don't know, just pick up a hobby. Because he's trying to carve his he? name in the wall, right? And he, yeah. and then he goes oops and the wall comes out and he realizes how brittle the wall is and he's like all right well that's it um, yep, that's my way yep. out <laughs> exactly yeah i felt like it was right at right when he asked for it mm-hmm. and then he's like oh i know a lot about rocks like i don't even know if that's true but um <laughs> you know he like time but, uh, i guess to learn about it <laughs> yeah he's like oh i really i'm really interested in rocks and shaping mm-hmm. them i mean that was i felt like that was just a cover for like i need something to break rocks with mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> you can't come out and say yeah, that yeah everything should have been really like uh, now that we've seen it several times everything should have been really obvious to us <laughs> like I just want a thing that carves rocks. Really? Why? Okay. You're trying to break out of here, dude. Come on. (laughs) Everybody in the audience should know he's going to break out or he's going to try to. Yeah. Yeah. And they play it out and it's, it happens sooner than you even think. Like, I feel like the movie could go another 30 minutes beyond it's, it's runtime. Yeah. Yeah. It it does. It feels fast when it happens. Yeah. And then the brilliant flashback, the, uh, I guess Steven Soderbergh eventually used this technique in oceans 11 where you're flashing back (laughs) to, you know, him breaking out and stuff like that. And it's like this heist type thing of how he swapped the files and uh, swapped uh, his shoes. And I love that entire sequence. There's a lot of just sequences that I love. There's no like one particular scene mm-hmm. except for red speech that I'm like, Oh, you know, that one scene alone is, is amazing. It's just entire sequences that are telegraphed out that are just perfect. Totally agree. Yeah. I kind of forgot to mention. Uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about uh, William Sadler as Haywood. I really like. Oh guy. yeah, me too. Yeah, he's, he's yeah. really good as the. Uh, 
he's kind of like a dopey guy, <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, because this is all he knows is prison and yeah. wasn't raised with, to be an educated man. He just kind of made his choice. He was at a crossroad in his life and he made his choice to commit crime. And that's where he mm-hmm. is. And I think he was like the first one to tell Andy to shut up or whatever. What does that matter? You know, Andy's like, yeah. what's that guy's name who died? And 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 what was his name again? Haywood? He's like, well, who cares? Mm-hmm. Shut up. Who cares? You know, and that's that's emblematic <laughs> of like the state of mind that, that prison is in at that point in time. Exactly. You know? Life has no meaning. They're literally just exactly. a number. Yeah. Yeah. And I like that actor. He was in um, he was death in Bill and Ted's bogus journey. Oh <laughs> you that movie? I can't. <laughs> Who was death in Bill and Ted's bogus journey? Now I can't. Time to do some research. Yeah, that, that was him. That was that was Haywood. Oh wait, really? Yeah, yeah. Bogus. William. I haven't seen that movie. Talk about a movie I haven't seen in forever. That is Williams. Get out of here. For some weird reason, like I'm not even going to try to explain this to you. I like really loved that. I mean, it's not weird that I like that movie, but I just like really, really liked <laughs> Death. <laughs> like, yeah. I just thought that character was so funny that I looked him up to see who he was uh, when I was watching that movie a lot. Wow. And yeah, it's him. I think he was I... in Star Trek too. Also, he was um, on really? Deep Space Nine. Uh, oh. I think he was in Section Thirty One. You know how they mm-hmm. kept having that Section Thirty One, like. Um, the time co- I, prime directive cops or whatever. I unfortunately have never seen a Star Trek uh, show. Oh. Like, well, I mean, I watched like four episodes of the original oh, okay. series no and it's awesome, but uh, never, never got back to it. <laughs> um, unfortunately. Yeah. Well, like everyone was on Star <laughs> oh, yeah, Trek, especially true. back then. But, um, but, uh, but yeah, I remember him and I remember like mm-hmm. making the connection that he was death. And, and then when I was watching this movie, I was like, Hmm, I really right. recognize his face. And then I looked That's, it up and I was like, oh yeah, he I was get, the second time my mind so has been weird. blown this episode. So he so he <laughs> is the death death has like a supreme amount of face paint, right? In Bogus Journey. Man, yeah, I would not the Grim Reaper, guess that that yeah. was him. Like that's crazy. Uh yeah, because it's like extra yeah. silly and like I have, again, ridiculous. I haven't seen that movie in yeah. a very long time. Now that you mention it, I'll be like, of course <laughs> it's should, that you actor, should. you know? Like <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. No, but no, I didn't recognize him either. I mean, uh, yeah, he just he's unrecognizable in that movie. And he's just so like over the top mm-hmm. and big. And I don't think he's ever like that again in any of his other roles that I've seen, at least. But it looks like he was in the Green Mile, too. And uh, oh, yeah. And, and I think the opening had yeah, so. the opening of the movie had the lawyer, uh, Jeff DeMunn, who is has acted in every single one of Darabont's movies. And he was also Dale in The Walking Dead. Oh, um, wow. He's been an Every single one of Darabont's movies. Really? Yeah, because Darabont adapted, adapted uh, initially, he's the one who adapted Walking Dead for AMC. And then they had a tumultuous relationship, totally ended in the wrong way possible. If you read his emails, you're like, oh, that guy's not a good person. Because uh, he was a very <laughs> abrasive, profanity-ridden person in his emails, like talking about what he was owed. Oh, and wow. I'm like, yikes. But AMC leaked that on purpose for character Ooh. defamation purposes. So it's it's kind of yeah. like, eh, who are you going to believe here? You know? I don't know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it happens. It's I a mean, shame, though. He would have yeah. been... I think it, the show would have been good if he was still on it, honestly. I mean, I know people still like that show. I'm sorry for saying that, but... uh <laughs> Oh, I feel like a lot of people at this point are kind of, yeah, feeling a little bit, maybe it's just gone on for so long, you know? So I think, I think they may agree with you. I I haven't watched it. Um, I've seen an episode here and there, but I've never been like a consistent viewer, so I can't chime in. (laughs) (laughs) I think The Mist definitely has 
Steve, the Stephen King uh, least happy ending that Darabont's ever done. For sure. Really? I don't think I've seen oh it all the gosh, way through. That ending is, in, it's one of the greatest like horror movie endings, period, in my opinion. One of the greatest, not the greatest, one of the greatest. So bear that in mind. It's pretty insane. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. I need to check it out I'm trying to then. undersell it. <laughs> <laughs> awesome yeah, i like it's that good. i highly recommend that and green mile of course we already mentioned that's that's a great movie long but it's a great movie oh definitely sure. um did you have any other like scenes specifically that you wanted to i know we kind of jumped around a little bit which is totally fine we we did but i just i've there's not really a scene that i can bring this up in but uh i have to mention because i'm an aspiring as i recently discovered aspiring film composing musician whatever you want to call it I have to shout out Thomas Newman's score because holy moly did that add so much power and impact to this movie. Um, it's I think it's fascinating that I listened to this in my car today, like on the way to and from work, and the entire thing I managed to listen to. And I think it's fascinating that the entire score is just build up, and then the end credits is when you finally have a melody going on, where you have like a it's kind of like you know this happy ending, oh yay. Uh, but everything else is building up to like just it's just a, he's just highlighting like a single note and he's just layering notes on top of that single note. Like it's just like that's the one note. And then he's got other notes going on top of it that are like, nah, nah, yeah, nah, nah. it's I could listen to this being played by a full orchestra without even watching the movie. And I would be like, oh, this is a great piece. You know, like it's so brilliantly composed and layered uh, and has like a very classical feel and stuff like that. It's such a great score and i love i just love when it's used the way that it's put into each scene i don't i'm still learning about the minutia of film scoring so i don't know if he was watching as the bus was pulling into the prison and he was like here's where i'm gonna put this musical cue i have no idea because it really depends on the director how you're gonna score your movie but it's it certainly is impactful where the where the music ended up um, especially when andy's breaking out and the music finally builds up to this da, 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 like type of horns that are just triumphant and everything. It's just such a great score. Right. No, I agree, man. I need to listen to more soundtracks. I think that's one area that I'm weak in for sure. Um, I used to download and buy a lot of soundtracks and I, in recent years, I haven't done that as much and I need to. I'm starting up a, Again, I just for it's 2018. I just got Spotify, and the main reason I got it, <laughs> like subscribe to it. Oh yeah, you can. The main reason anything. I got it is yeah. for movie scores, uh, so I can just any yeah, album. There's tons and, of them, and there's a great playlist out there with like 30,000 followers on it that has so many iconic themes from movies. And Shawshank has come up more than once because there's a lot to choose from. You know, there's that that scattered piano that Brooks has. Um, during his scene, he's got the scattered piano playing. Da, 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 da. And then there's there's other parts where it's just like a sweeping orchestra and it's building and building and building. And I would not have guessed that this score would fit with this movie. Like, because it's, again, like I mentioned, it's so classically composed that it feels like it belongs in some romantic movie, some romantic drama or something. It's so. Yeah. I feel like that's playing off of Andy just being kind of transcendent and like yeah. outside of the attitude and the uh, vibe that the prison gives off. Right. For sure. For sure. Yeah. 
Yeah, Jinx, we said for sure at the same time. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I've been listening to a lot of, there's a, a podcast out called Score that's uh, just a, Ooh. it's based on a documentary that came out last year, also called Score, uh, which mm-hmm. is on Hulu. I highly recommend people go watch that. Uh, it okay. starts at the very beginning. You know, what was musical uh, scoring in film? What was that like at the very beginning? Uh, because that's all it was in the beginning was music. There was no audio. There was no dialogue. Uh, so they start from the very beginning all the way to now. And Thomas Newman, of course, is brought up in there um, who scored this movie. And uh-huh. the podcast is interviewing a, a different composer each episode. So I've, I've been oh, awesome. learning way, like, way too much about scoring right now because I just want to get oh, fully cool. in it. Uh, yeah, we did an episode on, um, I interviewed uh, Douglas Pipes. He was the composer of uh, Monster House. Oh, nice. And uh, a few other movies. I think recently it was The Babysitter that like, it was like a Netflix original. Yes. Yeah, but, uh, I, know, I know that movie. Yeah. yeah. He was uh, invited to Dallas uh, by the uh, the Dallas Orchestra paid to have him redo a score on a silent film. Wow. And then he composes composed it like really quickly because they actually um, asked him to when someone else kind of bailed mm-hmm. on them. Um, and so he quickly had to do he had to like put out a score and then they played it to the movie. It was uh, the general uh, the Buster Keaton film. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And uh, and then you listen to it live like um, the orchestra plays it live and you can go yeah. see in. They do that every year in Dallas. And that, something that I had no idea that they did. Actually. They do that like every quarter for iconic movies. Mm-hmm. Like I, uh, I watched. Uh, it's I. Sorry for calling this iconic for the haters, but I watched. <laughs> I watched <laughs> La La Land at Dallas Symphony. Uh, the Meyerson, the Dallas Symphony Orchestra played uh-huh. the score along with the music, like along with the movie as it was playing. And oh, cool. I, I had such a close seat, and it was kind of higher. It was on the same level as the uh, the guy who's the conductor. And I could see on his screen that he had the time signature beeping at him, telling him, giving him cues. <laughs> and it's so interesting because he's watching the movie, but in the bottom left corner, there's like a, a dot that indicates the time signature. And it's it's very wow. interesting. I'm like, man, there's a lot going on in that dude's head right now. Like, it's, he's got to control right. so much of that orchestra. Uh, it's pretty mind-blowing because uh, that, that movie specifically splits into two different areas where it's Hollywood music scoring, orchestra music, and it's like contemporary jazz with a, with a full drum set, which is unique to that movie. Uh, so they, they had to split up the orchestra in different ways. You know, they had like a jazz band there and an orchestra. It was really cool. Wow. Um, and That's they do that. Cool. Raiders, I think, is coming up for us at this time of the show. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it may have already oh, yeah, happened. Right. That was in uh, Fort Worth, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, what's crazy, too, about uh, this event that Dallas does, they actually have them do a completely new that score is, I'd never like, heard for of the that. whole That's film. Insane. That's so cool. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So he like composed a brand new, you know, basically spin mm-hmm. on this movie and then they played it uh, wow. simultaneously. So that it's kind of cool. Yeah. I might, I, w- I get emotional. Like I get emo- during this movie, I get emotional certain moments. I'm, I'm just an emotional dude. I embrace it. Uh, I would totally, I would totally weep if I wrote something and an orchestra fully played it and there was a movie in the background that was just an iconic movie. Like it, that would, I would, I would be inconsolable. <laughs> He's like, this is what it's for, man. <laughs> you took you took a lot of themes from this movie to heart, you know. No toxic masculinity for you. All about letting your feelings right, and art, exactly. you know. I appreciate that. I'm glad you mentioned that because it is it's dude this is a dude centric movie. And through today's lens, it's a, it's it's clearly a study on uh, ahead of its time, of course, because 
that expression didn't really exist on it, but uh, but yeah, it's totally study on toxic masculinity right yeah. there. Um, if I could say that, word, I <laughs> yeah, I, I think in the same way that like, um, well, not the same way, but I, I felt like there's a little hint of that too in like Dead Poet Society, like anything where it's like exploring like how you feel and and yeah. and ex- being able to express that, you know, in right. a in a positive way in a prison, you know. So that that's yeah. right. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I wasn't gonna dive too deep into that but yeah i definitely thought about it's it a thing. when i when i was it's watching it. yeah. yeah you gotta gotta consider it you gotta be woke fam yeah that's exactly <laughs> <laughs> um were there any other scenes that you wanted to kind of like touch on or go over oh i i um only only thing i found that was interesting about it was that test screenings to the studio mm-hmm. were so insanely positive and they were like, how do we get this to be as successful as it needs to be? Oh, I got it. Let's remove Stephen King's name from it because everybody's going to associate his works with horror. Oh, I was so they removed his that. name. They removed it because I also heard that he didn't want it on there. That he like. Uh, I'm sure he didn't care regardless. He trusted Darabont, it seemed like. Okay. I thought, see, I thought he was like, don't put my name on there because people will think it's horror. Just. Yeah. But no, that's interesting that. I see. I. I it could be one of those two because, you know, there's a lot of conflicting information about older movies oh, nowadays. Oh, definitely. Yeah, yeah. But, but yeah, there was a strategy that, there yeah. for sure. And and I don't know if it either backfired or, or people just weren't in the mood for prison movies because this movie did not do well at all. Um, it did not recoup its budget, like, at all yeah. while it was in the box office, uh, while it was in theaters. And that's a real shame. But, I mean, I think it finally started to get the attention it deserved when they, like you mentioned earlier, it got all the Oscar nominations. Yeah, they said that that helped. <laughs> But it still mm-hmm. didn't make it a success. So it's probably oh, not to like home release. Yeah. I yeah, I imagine TNT had a lot to do with <laughs> keeping it alive. Uh, like yeah, because you know, there's generations of people that are discovering that movie through TNT. I mean you're right to date. Yeah, and you're right in that like, you know, Oscar nominated, you know, the, the mm-hmm. Academy clearly saw that this was uh, special yeah. and that there was a lot here, but you know, it could just be that audiences that year did not resonate with it, which I do go back to that a lot. And I know I probably sound like a broken record on this, but mm-hmm. sometimes, you know, critics can get it wrong. Um, and, and that can be either the audience or critics. I'm not even throwing film critics under the bus. I, I, I rely on film critics uh, a lot of times. Choose movies, but it is possible for something to be, you know, badly timed. And um, it may have been like if this had been released a few years later, it would have been seen differently. And honestly, like a lot of Stephen King films are kind of like that. I mean, The Shining was a big flop when it came out. Uh, You know, there's just a lot of it's hard to tell. In retrospect, people may see things differently. I think anytime. A movie puts a new spin on something. Like I don't know that there was a lot of uh, prison movies with that were that had this layer to them, like almost mm-hmm. the way that like a war movie would have. Um, oh yeah, yeah. So I don't know if people were used to that or like that idea, or you know, were we ready to like see prisoners as people? I don't, I don't know. Right. You know. Yeah, I think the studio <laughs> even knew it in advance. They this is why they kept turning down Darabont to adapt this movie. They kept saying. Prison movies aren't marketable. They're not marketable. They're not marketable. Can we please finance something else you want to do? And Darabont was like, uh, no, read my script. And then they read the script and they were like, okay, here's your money. <laughs> like they immediately buckled. They knew it was <laughs> going to be amazing. And I mean, kudos to Castle Rock for throwing their weight behind this entire movie. Like, mm-hmm. you know, budget wise and everything. They gave him everything he needed. He, he was able to get the location that he needed, the, that iconic location that he needed. And, and Roger Deakins, he was able to get him, who by that yeah. point was even advanced. You know, he had a career already 
leading up to Shawshank because uh, he's been doing it for so long. Uh, whereas Darabont was a newbie. He needed somebody to rely on. So they got Deacons. Um, and, and it's, they just, all the moving parts were just perfect, like perfectly put together. Like Morgan Freeman and Tim Robbins already had a career before this movie. Um, this one just shot them to the stratosphere. That's all it was. Um, yeah. Script. I love yeah. Tim Robbins though. Oh, I, did, yeah, I didn't get to touch on that a whole lot, but I uh, I really like him. Um, but I specifically, okay, I was kind of chatting with some friends about this movie beforehand, uh-huh. and, and we were kind of joking about how, um, not joking, that sounds like the wrong word, but um, <laughs> we were talking about how his character, uh, you know, he got drunk and he was going to confront his wife, and one of my friends said, "Yeah, it's too bad he didn't handle it the way his character did, and uh, in nothing to lose, you know, oh my he, gosh. he suspected his wife of cheating, and he just, you know, he he doesn't do that." <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I just started laughing. I was like, "That's a really weird <laughs> connection to those movies," but it was also funny because the friend that said that is uh, her name's Kara. She's been in quite a few of the episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, known her since she was like. I think she was five and I was six, but uh, we used to watch wow. nothing to lose yeah. like on re like for some weird reason, like that movie is not super successful. I don't even think any, I don't think anyone thinks it's as funny as for some reason we thought it was. <laughs> I remember it's so random. Yeah. Like we would turn it on and start laughing, just start giggling when the credits started oh, rolling and we just laugh. The, and like, I loved Tim Robbins because of that movie. Oh, that's interesting. That's funny. <laughs> that's so I, that was, that was in a phase in my youth where I would convince my parents to take me to see any movie that was in theaters coming out. So I saw that in theaters. I don't remember it much now. Is that the one with Martin Lawrence too, right? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I guarantee if you go, go watch it right now, it will not be as funny Probably to not. you as yeah. it was to me when I was like eight, but, um, but it was great yeah. then <laughs> or whenever it came out. But, um, but yeah, it was like that movie. And, um, there's another movie uh, that we watch. Oh, uh, The Long Kiss Goodnight. It was like, oh, for some man. reason, we watched those two it's movies. It's so long since I've it's seen like that so movie. 90s. That's a, that's a Shane Black <laughs> movie. And I've, I haven't I haven't consumed that movie in a long time. Let me just say that. I saw, again, that was in the phase where I was like, I got to see this movie in theaters. So I did see that in theaters too. Uh, but I, it's been so long since I've seen that movie. Gina Davis and Sam Jackson, right? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Shane Black wrote yeah, it. Yeah, like it's one Rennie of the... Harlan directed it. Oh, yeah. really? Um, Shane Black was a uh, pretty pretty popular writer before he was like, I'm just going to oh. start, you know, I'm just going to start directing my own stories. Um, gotcha. I, I feel like it's like a hidden gem yeah. though, right? Because I feel like not everybody saw that movie. And like, same thing with, with this movie. It's like when you are free from the, uh, I guess from the, the knowledge of there being any film critics at all. You're just kind of like, I yeah. loved it, you know, <laughs> especially because I was so young. I was yeah. like, Oh, it's great. Um, so I had no, no concept of like really a good or bad movie. I yeah. Think, I was, point, yeah. So. Fortunately I was at that stage where the internet <laughs> didn't really exist or play a bigger role in my life as, yeah. it, as it does now. And so I'm, right. You had to look in the paper yeah. and like, Oh, it has a B, you know, it yeah, was I like, would, mm. you know, I knew, after after like six or seven times watching it that it was a great movie and then you read online oh people regard this as one of the best movies ever well so do i like i it's like oh my opinion validated perfect we're, yeah. we're in line there um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah yeah apparently this is number one for the imdb uh, top 250 and it's been that it's been the number one movie since 2008 really? since it uh, surpassed the godfather yeah wow. and this is user like rated like so this movie speaks to pretty much everybody in its own way um yeah I, I didn't realize that. I'll be it's honest. So hard That's to get really that. cool. Good of a rating on IMDb. Like, 
Like if you get like a five or a six, is. that's actually a good rating for their standards because there's a lot of trolls on there. <laughs> but uh, number one, I can get behind. This is a number one I can get behind for sure on, on that website. So kudos to the users for, in my opinion, getting it right. Uh, for sure. Oh, and and I, I guess it, that brings me to my last couple of questions. Uh, you already answered it, I guess. But if you want to sum it up, what keeps you coming <laughs> back to this movie? I uh, just I, I think I said at the top that I just enjoy being experiencing this movie, like being in this time period uh, in this prison. For It's really weird to say that. <laughs> I love visiting this prison, but there's something about even regardless of having been there or not, there's something like that just grabs you. Like as soon as you see the van driving up, you're like, oh, I want to explore every wall of that mm-hmm. prison. And I, I don't know. I just love being in that world. And sure, there's a lot of misery going on too, but you have those glimmers of hope and stuff and you see the proactive measures that Andy's taking to instill spread hope throughout the prison. And you, you know, it brings you, those moments bring you joy. And then it has one of the best, most gratifying endings for those characters, Red and Andy ever, oh, yeah. like you could possibly script. So I, it's just every time it gets, every time it gets me, I don't get like overwhelmed with emotion every time. And it's, you know, I've seen it so many times that how could I, uh, but um, you know, it's not fresh anymore, but it's still, I don't know, visually, I feel like I notice different things too. Mm-hmm. Every time it's uh, through Roger Deakins uh, cinematography. Like it feels like at that time when Andy's confronting the guard on the roof, not confronting, but he's offering him something and he's in the guards like about to push him off the roof. Yeah, uh, which is insane, by the way. But I, <laughs> but I noticed the cinematography for like the first time, where like the camera goes overhead yeah. to illustrate how high up he is, and then the camera goes back down and it circles around, like impossibly circles around to where like wait, if the camera circled around that way, then it would be off the roof, you know? Like <laughs> how did it do that? That's crazy. It had to have been Deacon's guiding Darabont because he's such an expert. It had to be like it's for sure i don't know i just pick up it's something that is just obviously it's uplifting by the end of it completely and gives you hope in your life uh, because if these people can have hope you know any any, everybody can and and also i pick up new things every time so i mean that's another reason to keep revisiting it for sure yeah no i agree with you i mean i sat down to watch this and uh well i i will come uh, out and say it i did cry again at the brooks part i, I always do i can't i oh, can't yeah. handle that part man i mean not to say that i don't cry in movies i mean i definitely mm. do but yeah. um <laughs> i i do not hold back when i watch movies but um but yeah no i think it's it's the kind of film that even though you've seen it a bunch of times i mean you can sit down and just pick it back up and start mm-hmm. watching it doesn't feel like a chore it's seamless in um the way it moves through all those different time periods and right. uh and I think it's, you know, it's a classic and it's, it's one of the most watched, like you mentioned earlier for a reason. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, no, everything you said, I, I don't think I could say it better. I, I completely agree with you. I think TNT likes it as much as we do as well. They do. They love it. <laughs> like, oh God, there's nothing to air, you know, just put Shawshank on. It's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> yes. People will watch it. We yeah. know that. Yeah. <laughs> They've if been I stumble it for... upon it, I'm going to finish that movie. Like if I stumble upon it, maybe <laughs> Just the nature of that movie. That's how good it is. Awesome. Well, what would you say to someone that's never seen it before? If this person exists somewhere. <laughs> if this person exists by now. <laughs> well, first off, get yeah. cable. Uh, <laughs> you can watch it anytime right. on TNT. Or even Shout now. Shout out TNT. Shout out TNT. Right. Uh, <laughs> or even now, you know, YouTube TV. I'm sure you could find it. I, I bought this. I ended up buying this on YouTube, actually. Um, because oh, wow. I was like, I just wanted, I wanted to own it digitally somewhere. Mm-hmm. So I could stream it at any time on any device. Uh, so I bought, I was like, uh, why not? You know, it's, 
if it's one of your favorite movies of all time, why why would you have a problem buying it again? You know, <laughs> so right. that was an easy choice for me. But in terms of uh, somebody that never seen it before, uh, uh, what are you doing with your life? First off, uh, <laughs> second off, I I would definitely prepare them like I find a way to prepare them for I'd be really bad at it doing impromptu right now but prepare them for there's going to be a lot of emotional moments in this movie and it's going to seem mm-hmm. like there's a, there's moments of so much despair and just depression but there's always I mean there's a message here you know there's a light at the end of the tunnel just wait for it and it'll give you one of the most gratifying endings of any movie ever so seriously just stick with it <laughs> I just urge you to stick with it because it, it pays off yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I I agree with you. I think you know it's it's on this list for a reason, like I said before, and uh, and I I think you need to g- give it a chance if you've never seen it before. There's a reason why it gets talked about, parodied. You know, it got nominated for so many Oscars, uh, and if you really love film, then you need to see it. And yeah. I think uh, Darabont himself said that the I think it was the speech that he gave at the end was Morgan Freeman's favorite. That was his favorite moment of Morgan Freeman's acting in his entire career. I think he said this in 2004, though. I don't know if there's been a better moment since. <laughs> I don't but, remember one off the top right, of my exactly. head. Right, mm-hmm. exactly. Oh, well, Lucius Fox and Dark Knight Rises, like, no, it's not, <laughs> it's not the same level. You know, there's not that emotional Yeah, like uh, that weight. character, but... Uh, yeah, love that character, but... Red. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, and I can't help but feel inclined to agree with him. I, I, granted, I haven't seen every single Morgan Freeman movie in existence, probably, but when you really think about this is the one that leaves the biggest impression like the For most sure. indelible mark on on your brain you're like that moment that moment that speech you know stamp mm-hmm. your form like it's like that moment that you wish you could say to your boss or something at work you know <laughs> <laughs> like if they're writing you up over something trivial and you're like just stamp your form i really don't give an s or whatever like it's just crazy <laughs> yeah. like, it's such a great moment uh yeah, so if you want to see one of the best Morgan Freeman performances, the dude that's been around forever, definitely watch this movie too. Yeah, completely agree. Well, Jeff, thank you so much for coming on. I'm so excited to talk about this movie. I'm immediately going to look up that uh, uh, prison tour ghost experience. Oh, man. Like, yeah. Like, that is so exciting. Uh, so I want to look that up. Um, did you have anything that you wanted to, like, plug? Oh, like, well, I do have a podcast that's totally unprofessional and uh, and stupid. And it's... <laughs> I love it so much. I love it so much, though. It's a lot of fun. It's In the best ways, I mean. Unprofessional and stupid in the best ways. It's called uh, Enter Tournament of Champions Podcast. Uh, just combining the words of tournament and entertainment because that's what we do. We basically oh, cool. take TV, movies, and games and other things occasionally and rank them 16 through one and then put them in a tournament like March Madness and debate our little hearts out. It gets a little passionate sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> I need to hear this. I've seen your passion on Facebook. Oh, so. yeah. With, uh, yeah, I pretty much just post <laughs> Doc Charles and go, hey, I disagree with that opinion, you know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. That's awesome. He's the to my Ebert or vice versa, depending on which one was the more <laughs> outspoken one, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> that's so cool where can they listen to it oh it's on itunes and um, on iTunes. Okay. Where, where else stitcher wherever podcasts are found pretty much i put it i've tried to put it everywhere. okay awesome that is awesome okay i'm gonna give that a oh, listen nice. i appreciate it and if you can tolerate it long yeah. enough I, kudos uh <laughs> <laughs> we're very three for three very excitable dudes 
that's all I'll say. No worries. If you ever need, you know, one more person to argue with, uh, I'm there, oh, no, as you've awesome. seen on online. So. Uh, oh, I was going to also say, I start, I'm starting another podcast. I, mean, I can't say when it's going to oh, come cool. out or anything because we're still working out when we're going to record it. But it's definitely inspired by this type of podcast, the, the, the type of podcast where you're like, you're talking about one movie, an episode, and you're talking about the meanings of it and what you loved about it and stuff like that instead of... Because in that tournament podcast, it, it can be a little... It can be a little draining because you're like, oh, man, I got to talk bad about this one movie to justify this other movie um, moving on in the tournament. And it can be it can it can wear you down a little bit. So I, I started another, I'm starting another one that's literally just doing this, but with like classic movies through the decades. Um, and uh, yeah, that's going to be a blast, I think. Great. And it's more professional. <laughs> well, <cool. laughs> Well, you know, feel free to post that uh, in the in the group whenever you get oh, running. Awesome. I appreciate that. Yeah, anytime. Yeah, yeah. Me. it's been awesome. I hope to do this again sometime whenever you circle back around. Oh, for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. And you start thinking about another movie. Oh boy. So. <laughs> you mentioned critics being divisive about a movie, and immediately what jumped in my head was a uh, two thousand one. That's the best example I could think of. I think all the movies I like are divisive. So <laughs> I love that movie just so you know. <laughs> so I relate yeah. to that. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's good stuff. It's one of my favorites. Oh yeah, me too. I love Kubrick. Me too. Um, but yeah, people go watch this movie again. Trust me. It has not been, it has not been like, it's been a minute since you've seen it. Even if you yeah. saw it last night. No, watch I it totally again. agree. Yeah. <laughs> watch it right now. Stop what you're doing. You don't have to go to work. Call in sick. Right. No, I'm just kidding. I didn't advise that, but um, yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much, oh, Jeff. And uh, I'll talk to you soon. Right. Bye. Hey guys, thanks so much for listening. Had a total blast discussing this movie with Jeff this week. Uh, if you guys have feedback on this episode or any others, please feel free to reach out to us at uh, Twitter under AYA Lisa Cosplay. I'm also on Instagram under AYA Anna Zanancy AMI Lisa or in our closed Facebook group, I Love That Movie. Our group is closed, but if you send a request, I'll add you. It's just a safe space for movie lovers to discuss their favorite films, judgment-free. My only rule is keep it positive. Uh, and once again, if you like what you heard today, please subscribe and rate the show. If you leave a positive review on iTunes, you'll be entered to win a $20 gift card to a movie theater chain of your choice. Uh, we're at 21 reviews, so uh, once I get to 30, I'm going to draw again. Leave one. Uh, thanks so much again, guys, and I look forward to hearing from you.